Kincaid's the leader of the soccer crew. No, he, there is no bigger oh soccer fan than the great Kevin Kincaid. We got to get him on the show. He should work for the MLS. He really should. He, really should. he should run the MLS. I agree. Ah, yes, very good. Thank you to Tony Bruno and Harry Mays and Ryan Rothstein and especially Phil Collins for that wonderful introduction to the Always Soccer in Philadelphia podcast. We haven't done one in two weeks because uh, the uh, the truth is that I was sick. The whole family was sick uh, and I'm getting over it now. I feel better uh, if I sound nasally. I apologize. Um, but this is our safe space. As you well know, I'm escaping the Ben Simmons uh, circus for 30 minutes for 40 minutes hopefully on a thursday and uh, escaping the circus with me is a good friend of the program joe tansy from the gambler what's up man what's going on i think we're all kind of escaping it it's this is a, a very safe space right now i want to put I, myself in a bubble i want to put myself <laughs> in a hermetically uh sealed uh bubble like paulie shore from the biodome and uh, i don't want to hear about ben simmons for 40 minutes and then i gotta go back to you I, I want to do like the Ted Williams cryo freeze for like, you know, the next week, the weekend <laughs> yeah. we can get over it maybe for the playoff series. That's inevitable. Yeah. I want to do Austin powers. I want to be cryogenically frozen and then I want to wake up later <laughs> and then talk about the carnies. They smell like cabbage, small hands like Kenny Pickett. <laughs> that's a deep reference i don't know how many austin that, powers fans we have here i don't know how many people realize i realize as i get older the more like half half baked and austin powers references i do the fewer people know exactly what the hell i'm talking about it's okay i did something was it uh jameer nelson jr is in the the ncaa tournament and I, oh, i'm God. like and i referenced the saint joe's team and i'm like wait a second people that are in college right now like don't even remember like like Delonte West is like a homeless guy with like a with a, a problem. Yeah. Delonte West, Delonte West was like him and Jameer Nelson were like unstoppable for the Jameer Nelson Delonte West team was when I was a freshman in college. Yeah, it feels like it was like and that was 2004, six, I mean, what was that like 18 years yeah. ago, 17 years ago or something insane. Um, listen, I could talk college basketball with Joe Tanzi all day long, but we're uh, as a Philadelphia Union podcast. Uh, and it's time to get onto the important topics. We actually have games to talk about. I did like two podcasts before the season opener. I haven't done a podcast since we played two games. So let's do a quick recap on Minnesota. We'll talk Montreal. We'll go over some of the stuff Jim talked about in the press conference Thursday today, which wrapped up about 10 minutes ago or whatever. Um, listen, Minnesota, I don't, I don't, I'm not surprised. 1-1. One, one. Um, okay. You know, the defense, they looked shaky to start. It looked like it was the first game of the season. Um, on that goal that they gave up, the rotations were off. Olivia and Baizo made a mistake. Uh, they got a very greasy Philadelphia Union type of goal to equalize. Uh, recycled set piece. They hemmed them in there. They had Jacob Glessness deliver a fantastic ball into the box. Corey Burke got in there and scored. And, you know, considering the circumstances and the way they played, 1-1 I think is okay. You would prefer to have the three points at home and then get your one point on the road, but they did it backwards. Um, so that was my take. I wasn't really surprised. I think the defense will get it back together, and um, they, they did in the Montreal game. So um, lingering final thoughts on Minnesota, Joe. Uh, I think the the biggest thing for me in that game was how are they going to deal with the Jamiro Montero absence, not attacking wise, but defending wise. Um, I think we've, I mean, the, the right back thing, it, it is what it is at this point, but, and 
with Baizo, I think it's not just point to the Eastern Conference final. Uh, this isn't like he made two mistakes and, and Curtin's benched him. It's a it's a series of events, and and Nate Harrell's done a, a good job taking over. But I'm very interested to see in the coming weeks how that that pocket of space in front of the center backs cleans up because I think the biggest takeaway for me, at least one of them from Minnesota, was Jose was working his tail off. Uh, there's no doubt about that, but there were. Yeah. There were some instances where you could tell he was kind of maybe overcompensating for you know, what was there in the past with Jamiro being that, that tough uh, ball winner at the eight. Um, and I think that, again, I think all these criticisms kind of come with time and, and come with adjustments, which uh, if you're a union fan and, and the biggest weaknesses right now are, are little tweaks, uh, you, have to, you have to like where you're at. They were very gappy in that game. You know, Danny pointed this out on the broadcast, like the spacing between the back line and the midfield seemed like it was off. So that's something they definitely have to correct. Um, They got it a little bit better, I think, in the Montreal game. I will say for as bad as that mistake was that Mbizo made and and Glestis too, deciding to hesitate and not charge down the ball carrier. Jack Elliott getting lost with his guy as well. And Kai Wagner falling asleep on the back post. It was kind of all their fault. Obviously, Mbiso puts him in the compromising position in the first place and forces the rotation from everybody else. But we're going to exercise the Ray Gaddis rule on the Always Soccer in Philadelphia program, where when we say something negative about somebody, we try to say something positive if the situation will allow it. And I have to say that when they scored that equalizer, uh, Emmanuel Reynoso got on the ball. He was dicking around on the ball, didn't clear it out of there, tried to back heel. But that's because Olivier was right up on his back. And then Leon Flock cleaned it up, recycled it, and put it back. And they got it back into the mixer. They scored the goal off that, like, they scored another sloppy goal in the Montreal game. And like nobody nobody should be surprised by that. Like they're gonna they're probably gonna get like one of those per game. You know, that's what they are. They're mm-hmm. gonna grind out, get these greasy Philadelphia Flyers types of goals where you just throw some bullshit at the net, you put a bunch of bodies up there, you outwork them, you out hustle them. It's like it's what we call like an effort goal. You know, it's like really nothing um crazy. But I do give Olivia credit for for helping make that happen by denying that exit in the first place. So I think the reality, Joe, is like it's probably gonna be a lot of um, until they kind of get it clicking, we're good, probably going to see a lot of those like ugly kind of sloppy goals that we saw last year, right? To, to keep with the theme of this week's opponent, I think their their Wando goals, yeah, is a, probably the be- the best. Uh, I also did like just did a Quakes podcast, so I, I'm I'm very much into Quakes <laughs> references this week. Yeah, yeah I mentioned yeah. I I was limited to one Alan Gordon reference per podcast. Oh, there you go. Uh, Matt Matt to George will kill me if I uh, if I say that repeatedly, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, look. I think the 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 fun finesse, uh, really smooth transition goals are going to come later in the season. Uh, look, it's unfortunate that the the striker pairing that uh, they've signed to be the, this one two punch won't play together until at least next week, and then next week's on a, a baseball field, and then the week after that's the international break. Yeah, <laughs> so you have. You're not going to see Nikolua and Julian Carranza really click together until April. I think that's the Charlotte game, which would I would I would tremble in my yeah. boots if I were Charlotte. If that's the case, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's it's incomplete. I I, I think I've said this about ten times uh, in MLS. You know when you know who the bad teams are right away. Uh, the good teams take time to develop. Yeah, some of them. Some of them are playing CCL. I think Jim Curtin said today, you know, you won't know for the fir- until the first ten to twelve games what you have. 
I think we know what the union have. It just needs to be out there as the, all the, the pieces to the puzzle need to be out there at once. And we're not going to see that until April. The, um, you know, Montreal, the big topic obviously was benching and Bizo. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, at the time I said, like, it's not unjustified. You know, he made a big mistake in the season opener. He made two big mistakes in the playoff game last year when he was the only starter on that back line. The rest were all, were all second unit guys, you know? So mm-hmm. if you look at, if you look at continuity, if you're one of those people who says like, you know, form can carry it, like we're going to pay attention to what happened last year and kind of make this a continuation thing. Like you could say that it's been a, it's a, it's a trend or it's a pattern with him. Um, I thought Harry looked, looked pretty good. Actually, he, he did a good job on lap aligning early on. Um, and the goal that they scored was bullshit. Like the, the wicked deflection, like we all know what's going to happen. I would point out actually on that one that, you know, when Jack Elliott kind of got sucked in, it was a really good turn by Kone, I think. Jacob Glessness got moved out of position by another guy. Actually, Harry came over and he made the right play because he abandoned his guy and he came over to the danger guy, the threat with the ball. Then he forced that pass over to the side and he gets back over, scrambles back over to his original guy, and then the deflection comes off. So I think everybody knows that. I don't think I'm saying anything profound or anything that people don't know here, but he does deserve credit for play, playing that properly. Um, and it just ended up being un- unfortunate the way it worked out. So I thought Harry was good. I would like to see him start again. Um, what say you on that topic? So, yeah, I actually did a kind of a, a dive into the, the deep numbers uh, on Sunday. Um, and everything is in favor of Harry starting again, uh, whether it be duels, passing, tackle, you know, whichever defensive stat or uh, distribution stat you want to use, uh, he outplayed Baizo in those categories. Now, look, you can say different matchups, different demands on the on the road versus at home, but um, he definitely didn't do anything to give the job right back to Olivier. That's for sure. No, uh, no. And I think that's if you're Jim Curtin, uh, you have to go with the guy that you can trust. And man, San Jose, whew, man, I, I have no idea what what San Jose is actually going to look like in the cold and what 20 degree weather and with man marking going all over the place. I mean, that could get really ugly, really fast. And um, I mean, maybe you bring in Baizo to, again, to be like the defensive cleaner, uh, cleanup guy Yeah. in, in the 70th minute. But yeah, I mean, Harriel, that's kind of a long winded way of saying Harriel should start. Um, and it's crazy that Jim Curtin's actually done this. I don't, this is, I don't want to say unprecedented for game two, but it. But it Jim, kind of, Jim of five, it, of four or five years yeah. ago would not, would not have done that. Yeah. No. And it's, it goes back to the, the, the Ray Gattis uh, complex with that. Also it's the, the Chris Pontius rule where he would just uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the drop off between seasons and everybody would argue on Twitter, like, well, why is Chris Pontius still starting on the wing? He has two goals. Well, and, and even those Jim, are those yeah. are you know midfielders and forwards. Like Jim, Jim hates to hates to change anything on the mm-hmm. back line ever. Yeah, you know? like, like let alone like a form kind of thing. So to me, there was like a you know an extra layer to all that. I would actually make a weird kind of like parallel here or analogy um, in terms of the Harriel and Bizo thing right now. You know when you watch like a UFC title fight and um, it goes the distance and it's a decision. And the challenger loses and the champion retains the belt. And the challenger says like, well, I think I did enough to win, you know? Yeah. 
Um, but it's not really about doing enough to win. It's like, you've got to kind of convincingly like take the belt, you know, like if it's close, like it's probably not going your way, you know? So in a way I see Harry Allen Bizo being one of those things where like, I don't see, like, I didn't see anything in that game that felt like they were like separated by much at all, you know, to make like any kind of compelling argument that like, Hey, I think one is clearly better than the other right now. So in my mind, I go with the default then. And the default is that Harry was the starter and, you know, he can continue to start for now. And Bizo came in and fell asleep again on the, on the back post there. Um, mm. So there was may have been an opportunity for there to kind of like him to like reclaim his confidence, throw him right back on the field. Hey, here's a chance to prove something. And he didn't prove anything. I know it's a tough situation to come on and play like right wing back in a back five when you're down a man. But again, it was, just, it was kind of, uh, you know, symptomatic, the, the same thing that had been plaguing him before it was just kind of falling asleep and losing, losing his marks back there, you know? So to me, when I saw that, I was like, you know, Harry has got to be the guy going forward until Olivier has some kind of opportunity to, or some does something in practice kind of to kind of prove otherwise that what we're saying is, is not uh, valid. You know, do you think him being at the AFCON and not playing a ton has something to do with it too? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's I think, like, I think it's just like those guys go back and forth and back and forth. They're playing different styles, different systems. You know, they're trying to stay consistent with logging a lot of minutes. I mean, you know how hard it is to like fly, fly around the world and like oh, have, yeah. you have your legs under you and stuff like that. I don't, you know, it's definitely hard. I just think the thing with, with Olivier is like, nobody's asking him to change anything that requires like, like years of training. He's not Ben Simmons trying to develop a jump shot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he's, we've seen him at his best be a really, really good player. I mean, he's friggin' like AFCON like quality player. You know what I mean? So it's not, it's not anything mechanically wrong with him. It's not technique or skill or anything like that. It's like, there's this alarm that needs to go off in his brain because I think Olivier is a very like languid kind of relaxed kind of player who likes to find a groove and like get into the flow of the game. But sometimes like the, like the, you know, your head needs to go, Hey, DEFCON one, DEFCON one, like emergency, just hack the shit out of this ball and kick it out of bounds, you know? And so it's about, it's not about changing anything in, in his game. It's about just like flipping that switch in his brain to say, Hey, when you see danger, just, just recognize it and get it out of here. You know, you know, you know what that reminds me of a little bit. Um, it's probably the extreme level, but Derek Jones, like it was yeah. all just, it was all like, and this is this is way extreme. I'm not saying Bizo is anywhere close to that, but like where like you knew the physical was there, the something wasn't computed. I think he just got traded again. Yeah, um, <laughs> he's he's on his like fifth team, and and for like you knew the talents there, you know the skill sets there, but something's not clicking right now. And I, I, part of it to me is I think he maybe had what a week and a half, if that, with the union before the opener. Uh, he didn't play much with Cameroon at AFCON. Um, I'm, I assume that's got to do something to a player's confidence. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe that is just the thing where we know he's a, a solid player. I'm not saying he's, you know, Derek Jones in, in any way, but I think from a mental standpoint, it's like, okay, you just got to put it past, put the errors past you. Maybe this is the wake up call. Yeah, um, yeah, and and maybe just the the gaining the the fitness within the system again because of the the I guess the advantage the Harrell had of just being with the team all, all uh, winter long. Yeah, maybe yeah. That, it, maybe it's just something as simple as that with with Bizo. But I mean, I would definitely at least the next two games as long as Harrell doesn't do anything catastrophically bad against San Jose uh, 
at least to the international break, let, let Harry prove yeah. what he can do. Nathan, Nathan and Ray, for sure. They both kind of played with like a sense of urgency where it's like, Hey, I understand the, the brevity of the situation around me. I got a guy bearing down on me. I'm facing my own goal. Like, Hey, I'm just going to head this ball out of bounds, you know, where mm-hmm. I think like, I think, you know, Olivier is much more of a smooth player who wants to take things in stride. And sometimes, you know, sometimes he's like, he's always in like third gear all the time. But like, sometimes you need to like have a heightened awareness to say, oh, I got to get into fourth gear on the sprint back. I need to just hook this ball out of here or something like that. You know, um, I do think there's, there's, you know, like you look at the way that Ray and Nathan played versus the way that Olivier plays. It's, I mean, he's, Olivier's game is a much more smooth, like, like forward flowing kind of game where I think when he goes back, sometimes you got to like have a different mindset, like, Hey, get this fucking ball out of here. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I, you know, there was a lot of questions that people asked when I, when I, you know, asked for submissions today about like, Hey, you know, when they went down a man against Montreal, you know, why bring him in and do the back five like that versus, you know, uh, and I asked about this and I think somebody, I think it was, um, was it uh, Todd? I think who asked about it on the on the um, call today with Jim on Thursday. Was uh, hey, what's the difference between you know throwing Olivier on the outside of Nathan and playing like that back four, back five, like wing backish kind of look versus bringing Stuart Finley on and then kind of pushing them out and having Nathan play like right wing back and then you have your three center backs there, right? Um, you listened to the answer; it was very in depth. It was a good answer from Jim, but basically he just said that they felt like Montreal attacks more down the flanks. We want our 1v1 space defenders out there. He felt like Olivier was a better choice for that versus like Stuart Finley, you know, Kai Wagner pushing forward and Stuart Finley kind of getting like exposed in space and having to like go out to the touchline defend, right? Um, Like knowing that and hearing what Jim said, that makes sense to you? Yeah, and look, I like I love when tactical Jim comes out. I know he says it sometimes when he prefaces the answers, like, you know, it's going to be long-winded and kind of nerdy, but it actually gives you a a really – really kind of detailed insight into what the decision-making process was. And, you know, he talked about basically with the way Montreal played to, to get the layman's version, uh, the way Montreal played just didn't suit three center backs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it suited bringing Baiza on and keeping the, the shape in the back four. And I love it when coaches are able to go into like that much depth and detail about just one decision like that because it, it, it shines a light and it, it, I mean, it saves a lot of arguing in, in the, in the Twitter mentions <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah. Well, that's, like, I, it's I a, wish it's a I very wish, good like, explanation. Yeah. I wish other coaches from other teams would understand, would understand, would like understand that. Cause you can quell yeah. all this bullshit by just giving an explanation. Jim didn't give out yep. any secrets, you know? No. And I think that's what a lot of coaches get afraid of. Right. They're like, Oh, we're, we're going to give away, like tactical secrets, uh, you know, or, or you're not giving away the nuclear codes. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. No. You're just, and the game already happened. So it's, uh, yeah, I wish a lot more coaches were, were that in depth and detail because it, it does shine a light on, okay, well, we talked about Stuart Finley versus Olivier Baizo and ended up that after long discussion, that's what happened. I, I think it was yeah. uh, really good for him to shine a light on that. Did um you know it was it was interesting because Jim said you know normally we go four four one you know we go down a man most teams go four four one and they sit in blocks of two right but you know last year they played they did leave a second striker on it was the New York game do you remember when like uh, John Tolkien was like ro- rolled off the field or something and they had a throw in and they got Sergio to <laughs> yeah. score. Yeah, when they were down a man, they scored down. That was a man. The, the Matt. That was the Matt Freeze red card game, right? Yes, that was the yeah the Matt Freeze red card game, and 
you know, I was watching this Montreal game last week and it looked like originally I'm like, is Olivier playing like, like right midfield here? It looks like he was playing like right mid and like the diamond. It looked like they were playing like a flat back four, like a diamond midfield and then just having or up there running around. But I think as they kind of sat back a little bit and Montreal kept pushing forward and pushing forward, it looked more like a back five because that's where they were attacking from. But it looked like you kind of had a triangle there, almost like Bedoya and I think Leon and, uh, and Brujo Martinez in there. So it's just kind of interesting from that, from that standpoint, but I appreciate Jim being, um, you know, being thorough with that. Cause it helps us answer some questions, you know, um, for sure. And then to, to hit on that real quick, I mean, yeah. watching, watching that formation and the opposite side of the attacking side, the C Mikhail just, it, it's a, a really tough situation to put in because his it's his club debut, but I mean, I was impressed with just the, the yeah. physical, Look, I, I know you want to ideally make one of those two chances, but physically, I mean, there was one battle where I think either his shirt was tugged or the defender's shirt was tugged, and he's going in. He's not afraid to go 1v1, and I think that's going to be uh, a major asset going forward, and maybe you see it this week where you know he possibly drops further back and you run Santos in between the defenders. Yeah, but I, I, I'm, I know we're not going to see it for a few weeks, at least on an actual soccer field, but that that striker pairing it's it has me very intrigued because Carranza's done enough to be like okay, I know how he fits in this lineup, and the twenty five minute cameo we got uh, from Mikel on on uh, last Saturday was enough to intrigue me, and that's uh, you know that's enough sometimes. You playing. Are you starting or with Burke or with uh, Sergio on Saturday? Uh, just because it's 25 degrees and I want Sergio's hamstrings to pop. Yeah. <laughs> Go Burke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think, man, if they they play it right, you bring Sergio on in like the, the 55th or the 60th and you just tire the hell out of San Jose. I think that's the the way to do it. He just does so much. He he is able to do something off the bench that other guys aren't able to do off the bench. If Corey is more like the like the bulldozer, um, you know, like grind it out kind of guy. I actually would have been a perfect Mm. Corey game in Montreal because the shit turf with the ball (laughs) bouncing and all the area stuff. By the way, let me just on a quick A side here. The big O is an embarrassment. That turf is dog shit. Um, that's the kind of turf like that. Andy Reid and Brian Billick would have would have said, "Hey, uh, this turf is worse than the Lincoln Financial Field turf that we decided not to play on in the preseason twenty years ago, or whatever." You know, that's yeah. how that's how bad it is. You can you can see the seams on TV. You can tell how flat it is um, from when they had some of those like lower angles or whatever. Uh, the turf at YSC is better. The turf at the South Philly Super Site is better. Like nobody, nobody should ever have to. The mo- the ironic thing too is that, um, you know, the Big O and Stad Saputo are right across the street from one another. They're literally right next to each they other. Literally yeah. are right now. You could, you and I could walk there in like two minutes. Um, yeah. So I know the ground is frozen. I know it was like thirty two degrees up there. It's not ideal, but like it's ridiculous to me that they have to play in that. 1970s <laughs> stadium. You know, I know people, I mean, like, people may, like sometimes get sick. They're like, oh, Kincaid's complaining about the turf again. But like, dude, I'm playing on turf my entire life. I can feel it, dude. I can feel my right knee, like this bump on my knee is fucking sore every time I play on turf, even good turf. Um, yeah. 
you know, versus like playing on grass, which we haven't been able to do consistently around here, unless you live in the suburbs. You know, like if you play like Casa League or in the city or whatever, you're playing like pretty much South Philly Superstate. You're playing Chestnut Hill. You're playing all these different like areas of North Philly where you don't have anything else to play on but turf. Like you play on turf for 10 years versus playing on grass in 10 years, you're going to notice a difference, you know, in your joints and your knees and your ankles. Like it's just different, you know? Yeah, I'm not the uh, the relative Montreal expert on the union beat, but uh, I do know you would you could probably – play that game in, in the cold uh, i mean what saturday's forecast what 25 and, yeah. and brutal yeah <laughs> i don't even know I, I see wind i see cold i see rain it's, it's all the worst types of weather and they're playing in here like mint I mean, heck they just played in however many uh below degrees below fahrenheit in minnesota Santos Laguna goes up to the big O and they get their ass kicked. Um, Pumas was playing in the snow at Gillette on the turf last night, got their ass kicked, you know, um, who got their ass kicked by Seattle, the other, uh, I guess, Club Leon, you know? So it's like, you know, these conditions are like just not just for like the Mexican teams who've never played in it before, but even other MLS teams going up and do it. It's like, it's the, still to me like the, the big question of the league, the macro level question, like, Hey, getting off the turf, you know, getting like, mm-hmm consistent surfaces here you know not having to go from venue to venue in february but um let me just let me break down one more thing from the from the montreal game the goal that the union scored the game winner um actually really good recognition by kai wagner because he wasn't they didn't have any width in the first half i'm like where is like wagner normally he did by this point he's pumped in like 15 crosses on the left side you know um it's almost like he was hanging back i wonder if he was coached to do that i wonder if they saw something tactically with the way that uh, Montreal plays and they're kind of weird, like three, you know, three, four, one ish, two, one ish kind of system that they have. Or maybe it's because, hey, Harriel's on the other side. Hey, let's like stick back and just try to be a little bit more conservative here. But Montreal's back line was a little bit off. Carranza sees that. Wagner sees that. He just floats a ball, you know, hits it with the side, not the side of his foot, but he, he hits it, it's across the ball, hits it flush, just kind of puts some backspin on it, floats it right into Carranza. And Camacho's up. Uh, Johnston is up. And so Gosh Dog sees that and he says, oh, they're back now. Like if I make this late run, if I start this run now, like they're going to have to go away to follow me, you know? So I, like, to, the key to that goal, I think, was just recognition, you know? If I can pick one word for recognition, like understanding where the space is, saying, hey, the Montreal back line, they're playing up pretty far, but they're a little staggered. Let me try to slice into the corner here. We'll dink a ball into the channel. Then I'm going to make this run on the backside, and that's where it was. I was a little surprised Gosh Dog took that first touch. I'm like, oh, shit, he's going to like waffle it here, you know? But – um. Smooth finish at the end of the day. It was good to see him get going, you know? Yeah, I think Gazdag's, uh, you know, recognition, spatial awareness, whatever you want to call it, uh, when Carranza latches onto that pass, he, that's a run that certain people on this team in previous years maybe don't yeah. make. Yeah. And, I mean, you even saw it in week one. I think there was a chance for Gazdag crossed the ball in the box. I think the closest guy was like Corey Burke, um, 20 yards from goal. And it was a terrific cross into the yeah. uh they were attacking the non-river end side so i believe it was in the second half yeah but uh just little things like that just picking it up and, and reading okay the striker's drifting out to the left somebody has to fill the space inside the box i think was was very astute on on his end and i mean that's the reason why the goal happened you know carranza you know, maybe he gets a, a little 1v1 battle on, on the left wing and, and maybe dinks it out for a corner if that run isn't made, but yeah. And you can, you, you can like, this isn't like a, 
hot take or necessarily anything new. I just don't think that people really think of it this way. Normally, when we talk about ball watching, we talk about like a defender who's just like snoozing, right? But you can ball watch on offense too. You know, like if somebody rips an amazing shot and you're like, oh shit, that's a great shot. And then a rebound comes and you're not like reacting to it. That's ball watching. Uh, Gaj dog. You know, if he sees that beautiful chip over the top and the beautiful first touch with, with from Carranza with his chest, he could sit there and say, oh, man, what a touch. But, you know, instead he's saying, oh, I know this guy who's on me is out of position now because he dragged that center back out and the other guys push forward. Let me get in here now. Like, let me identify that space and let me go now. It's like ball watching can can happen at any portion of the field. You know, it's just about kind of like the understanding of like, hey, I got to move and I got to move now. So it was good to um to see that from him. I still don't really know what kind of 10 gosh dog is. He's got a little bit of Barnetta in his game without like the volume touches portion of it. He seems kind of like a utility knife kind of guy, but if they can get him going, um, you know, then it's, yeah. it's, <laughs> I'm, I mean, the, the majority, I want to say what 75, 80% of the goals are going to come from that attacking trio. Yeah. Just, just because of what's behind them. So how do you, create not only assist but goals so i think that that was a a promising sign you're right i think it's it's kind of incomplete on what he's going to bring because second half edition in, in mls i mean you know how how this goes it yeah it, it, you're lucky if these guys contribute like three three to five goals because the the transition's so hard and i mean the guy played what 60 games last year yeah <laughs> so at some point those, those legs have to be tired in, in certain stretches of games so yeah, I'm I'm very intrigued. I'll, I'll say that uh, there's a, there's enough there from the first two games to say okay, whenever this gets together, which is going to be at Yankee Stadium, so really a real soccer field in April. Um, there there's definitely some promise there. I think uh, you know Jim's compared Carranza to Tati Castellanos in the way he works. Uh, on both ways of the field. Um, so that, that comparison obviously intrigues you because mm. Castellanos is going to be sold for Buku bucks at some point. <laughs> whenever, yeah, New yeah. York, when, whenever New York City says yes, yeah. finally to that, it's not like they need a ton of money they're holding out for. <laughs> um, and then, you know, everything w- with Mikoa sa- sounds like he's going to be a guy. Mm. Um, I think you have to... I know it's kind of a lazy comparison, but Honey Mukhtar just came from the same club and yeah, was yeah. an MVP, was you know almost the MVP. Yeah. So you have to think of that, and then uh, if those two get together and have a functional ten behind them, I mean, yeah, there's a lot to get excited about if uh, if you really break down uh, the potential of these guys. Um, let's just do a little bit more here. I'm just going to rifle through some questions. Most of the stuff I actually went through the questions earlier and most of the stuff we kind of touched on in the, in the discussion already. Um, but uh, where's the one I wanted to find here? Oh, this is from um, PHL and me Hooper five, one, two. He says, um, this is actually a comment not a question. He says, I bet field questions probably come up. Uh, I live in Maine and the ground here in March is in one of two conditions. It's either frozen solid or it's pure mud. Uh, Montreal is probably still frozen, <laughs> probably still frozen. Right. Um, yeah. The que- and he says, the question is why home games are scheduled in Montreal so early. Um, thanks. Uh, 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 thanks. Great stuff. Especially the Jim and Danny episodes. Yeah, no problem. Man. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I, you know, I've been up to Maine a couple of times. I actually love Maine. Maine is actually very underrated. Um, Portland is a cool town. Um, Bangor didn't have much there, but it was like cool. Some cool breweries and stuff. Um, 
But yeah, I guess it's just like, you know, even if Stad Saputa, even if it was like 32 degrees at Stad Saputa that day and it's right across the street. I mean, the condition of the field is probably dog shit, right? Yeah. I mean, look, there's so many advances you can make in what field technology now. Yeah. That you would think just in some capacity, <laughs> they would they would have something to, to keep the uh, the field heated or at least just, you know, have Montreal play all the Texas teams. <laughs> yeah, they got, it's they such got, a weird. They're playing CCL this year anyway, so just shove yeah. them, down, shove them down there. There's so many games in the season; is so long. Like it, to me, it's ridiculous that we have to even start in February to begin with. Like, I don't think that has to be a thing. Like, if you look at the difference just in temperatures from like the two yeah. weeks between like that late February and like the middle of March, like it, it does make a difference if they can just shave those two two weeks off of it. You know, I just wish they had a different. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I just wish they had a better way to do it. Yeah, um, I mean, there's. Spring doesn't exist as a season in the Northeast. No, so no. <laughs> it goes, uh, spring is when your first local Rita's opens and, and that's really it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. For me, it's winter. It's miserable winter. Then like one terrible week of allergies and then 89 degrees. Yeah. Uh, there, there's like, there's like an 80 degree degree week in like the end <laughs> of March. You're like, Oh, well, I guess we just bypass spring. Rita's is open. Uh, let's just, you know, windows down. It's short season. I um, Here's a question from Frankie. He says, would Paxton make sense as a Carranza replacement with or on Saturday? The answer is is no, because I don't think I don't think Paxton is a second forward. I don't think he's a striker. No. But but the second part of what Frankie's saying is, um, can you do Christmas tree with or alone? Because I feel like his skill set pairs better. All right, or never mind. That part's not relevant. But based on the limited whatever I saw from from Michael or. Um, he, he, he very much does look like a guy who can play as a lone striker. So if they wanted to do, I remember like people got to remember in the Christmas tree, like Casper Shabilka was slower than molasses, right? I love Casper. He did a lot of great things, scored a lot of big goals, you know, stretching, stretching a team. is not like something he could do those chances that or carved out the other day. Shabilka would have never even been close to doing that. Like, are you kidding me? Like running into the channel and then like, like angling towards goal. Casper never would have been able to do that. So to me, if they did want to go, if they did want to drop a second striker and they did want to go back to Christmas tree and they did want to play Paxton up there, they did want to play Jack McGlynn up there and add a midfielder in exchange for one of the strikers, uh, based on what I saw from or they, they can definitely do that if they want to go back to that. Yeah, I think they can. I just think you got to put enough pace against San Jose if they're going to do this man marking nonsense. And I mean, Francisco Calvo is their starting center back. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's all you need to know about what they where they stand. I mean, I I watched them play the Red Bulls week one, and the Red Bulls looked like a team that could win the Eastern Conference. And I I don't rate the Red Bulls much yet. I think they're in they're definitely in the tier below the Union in the East. And then I mean Columbus kind of ripped them apart a little bit too. Part of it was Zeller Ryan being a a magician, but yeah, uh, I think you need to exploit Francisco Calvo as much as you can. And I think if I remember correctly, Corey Burke did that against Chicago last year. So maybe, maybe it is a Corey Burke game because I believe he did have uh, a good amount of success as the second striker last year against Chicago with, with Calvo in there. Um, there was a, uh, 
question here about this is kind of heavy. I don't want to get too deep into this, but somebody was asking like, hey, uh, FIFA was talking about letting Russian players out of their contracts because of the conflict that's going because the, it's not a conflict. It's a fucking ridiculous, illegal, ridiculous war going on over there. They were saying that they might uh, allow Russian players out of their contracts. Um, and he says, are there any Russian players that you would like or that you would go after? And the answer is like, absolutely. Like, uh, yeah, Smolov from uh, from Locomotive, for sure. Um, a lot of those Zenit guys are are really good. Um, I think, uh, f- well, he wouldn't come over here, but their their best player right now is probably the guy Golovin, who plays for uh, Monaco, and they have um, they have a guy who plays for Atalanta now. But I, it's that's fascinating too. I just you know I, I feel like this is a topic that's mm-hmm. that's much more important than just a quick throw in at the end of end of this podcast or whatever. Yeah, and I think I think what the players from the Ukrainian clubs too. They said they would release. I mean, I leave, I leave all my um, my transfer scouting and um, whatnot to Union Hulk because he's so effective with he's so effective with his recruiting strategies. Yeah. Uh, but I, I look at some of those names and I see Brazilians and I see, I mean, from a just a pure soccer standpoint, you at least have to maybe inquire. Well, you listen, man. I mean, like, look, Il Senior just retired. I can't believe I didn't even say anything about that. Maybe we'll get and he came, and, a and proper he came tribute. From, he came from Shakhtar Donetsk. Shakhtar he, Donetsk, he, right? So yeah, like, yeah, he played there. Like, like you got to be thinking to yourself, like, hey, you know, like, you guys are in the middle of this shit because that's in the Donetsk is in the region where the Russian separatist bullshit yeah. was going on in the first place, right? Like, yo, come to Philadelphia, like, get your family out of there. You will be like 100% safe and accepted uh El Senior played for you guys he played for us he can be an ambassador for it like I would love it would be great if if you know MLS or any other teams in general would be able to you know provide a, a home for these guys mm-hmm. if this shit keeps going on and on and on and then that league is like suspended because there's really good players who play for for Shakhtar Donetsk and Dinamo Kiev and like of uh, uh what's the one for Kharkiv metallist medalist yeah like yeah that. you know even like those Dnipro teams I don't think they're even a club anymore but they had like like dudes, and that the dudes that they were sending out of Ukraine, like Konoplyanka and Yarmolenko and like Andriy Shevchenko, and shit, they got really good players over there, and really good Brazilian dudes who play for those teams too. And like, yo, get out of that shit, bring your families over here. Like, we should open the doors for them to come over and play here. You know? Yeah, I mean, look, at they're again the the first and foremost, it's get your families out of there. Yeah, be be safe as human beings, but from a from a soccer business standpoint, if, if they're getting released from their contracts, um, if there's a fit, you know, I don't know if, I don't think the union have any space for anyone at this point, but I mean, look at the guys who are going to get sold soon. You would think yeah. oh, like, there's at least, there's at least, at least three of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just like a, you know, I'm, I'm pulling up on my phone. I, I just looked at the shock tar, um, lineup they always have like really good brazilian players and stuff i just think there's like a two for like slam dunk you know um opportunity here for like you know mls to say like hey you know you guys are more than welcome over here get your families out of that you know we'll, there's a mm-hmm. you know good opportunity to play over here the level is good um yeah like harmash plays for dinamo kiev um the uh, midfielder oh what's his name buyalski i think is how you say it um they have good good players over there and it's like get out of that get out of that shit come over here come play for philly man you know um i mean i mean how many mls teams right now could benefit from somebody of that quality 
Like oh yeah, ninety percent sure. of them. Yeah, yeah. They got the guy. I'm trying to. Th- I can't remember. I lost. I lost the stupid thing on my phone here. I think it's Sid Dorchuk or or Sergey Sidorchuk. I can't remember how you say his name. I think he's the Dinamo Kiev captain. He's really damn good too. He plays for the national team. Um, they have other guys who play for Benfica and like Yarmolenko plays for West Ham for sure. But like, yeah, and they got was it Malinovsky at Atalanta too? Yeah, Ruslan Malinovsky. Yeah, 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 yeah. They got good players, man. I would love for for FIFA, MLS, UEFA, anybody just to say, hey, like, I, you know, this is like a international conflict between countries. Like, we don't know exactly what our place is, but like, let's do our part. Get these guys out of here. Let them come play over here. Continue their careers. Get their families out of there. Let them be safe. You know. So that's the way I see it. You know. Um, listen, I think that's all we got, man. I, there was another thing, another couple questions in there. I think we talked over most of it though, but, uh, yeah, so far so good. Listen, man, I, I, I guess you would probably agree with me. Like four points out of two games is fine. I thought they were going to do it in reverse order, get the three at home and then get the one up there. But I mean, I guess you can't be upset with the way that they did it, you know? Yeah. Look, four points from two games. You do the whole thing. If I told you two weeks ago, that would be the case. You take it. And I guess, you know, uh, you have it. So, I mean, that, you can't be disappointed with that. Again, it's they're an incomplete team at this point just because the, the two strikers haven't played together. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, you have to have a, at least some some promising signs and some hope. It's it's not like last year where everything's dedicated to CCL and it ends yeah. up being, yeah. uh, you know, some of these losses are concerning. So, um, all good things. We're going to see more of uh, Michael Orr. Uh, Jamiro Matara is not going to be there on Saturday. I want people to message me and tell me your best Ilsenio moments and goals, and we'll do a proper tribute for him on the next podcast. But uh, meantime, Joe Tanzi, thank you, my friend. Always appreciate uh, having you on. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been it's been a while. This is a, a long way from doing the podcast in a in the corner of a gym in like Medford. <laughs> I think the first time I did it was like yeah. a no no cell reception at Shawnee High School before covering a basketball. It game. was pre pandemic too. Remember, <laughs> nobody knew what Zoom was, and so yeah, we, uh, I had you on the phone. I was recording. Like, did George hook me up with like a little phone <laughs> jack that I plug into my uh, pre Sonus box over here? And I was recording straight into the thing. But this is a lot easier. So uh, appreciate it, it as always, man. You guys know you listen to Joe. Uh, on the post game show too. I'm not going to be on the post game show on Saturday. I'm actually alternating every other week, uh, starting now, just because I have too much going on with my two little kids, you know. But Joe, you, you, you actually gonna... you actually have a life. I don't have kids yet, so I'm <laughs> <laughs> soon, man. Soon, you're next. You're I hope next. so. Yeah, um, Joe's going to be. You're going to be on. Every, you're going to be on every one this year, though. Yeah, and okay. we're, we might just a heads up. We might have something a little different for you guys on just this Saturday because. Villanova might be in the Big East tournament final. Okay. Uh, so we, I'll let everyone know, but we might have to do the Twitter spaces pre and post game instead of on air. Uh, but that's okay. our only over, that's our only overlap because we, uh, March is a very busy time of year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. No problem. We'll look for that. Joe, thanks a lot, man. And thank you everybody for listening. Uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia, even when the Ben Simmons bullshit has crested and is coming at you full bore.